All right, all the kiddos, you know where to go. And anybody else that wants to go have more fun than we're having. Are you enjoying the children leading us in Advent? Yeah? This is fun, isn't it? Yeah, they're writing their own devotions and everything. Today we're talking about joy, and I'm going to read you uh, a bunch of the headlines in the last couple of days. I think I've told you I get up in the morning and I read the headlines just to see what's going on around the world. And you help me make the connection between this and joy. Congress will probably get tougher on Russia. ISIS close to recapturing Palmyra from Syrian forces. U.S. is to send 200 more troops to Syria in the ISIS fight. Many police were injured in an Istanbul stadium blast. Tens of thousands homeless after an Indonesian earthquake. The Wells Fargo scandal hits Prudential as whistleblowers begin to sue. Colombia reports a major rise in birth defect amid the Zika crisis. A suicide bomber, according to Yemeni officials, uh, kills at least 48 soldiers. A knife-wielding teen shot at school. Let's pray. Father, all we have to do is look at the headlines. And Lord, we do admit to you that our our press does, feels like, uh, anyway, likes to report a little more negative and sensational things, but that doesn't gloss over the fact that we are a world in crisis. Lord, we're a country that is in desperate need of you, your wisdom. Uh, Thank you for being a God that we can come to with confidence and trust. Lord, I... um, We're a tired world, a weary world. There just seems to be evil and sin everywhere we look. Help us, God. Give us wisdom. Intervene in our world and bring peace. And figure out how to help us bring joy. And Lord, we uh, also lift up our prayers for those in our congregation who are sick. It was so good to see Don and Patty here this morning. Thank you. Uh, help the, now that he's finished with the first round of chemo, I pray, Lord, that it would have its effect. Thank you for Roy and Nancy Herring and the work you've done there with his lung cancer and that he's cancer-free for now. I pray that that would be permanent. Lord, and the many other people in our congregation who are needy and suffering and sick and we don't even know about, pray that you would be with them as well. And bless us, Lord, as a church. Help us to reflect your glory to a world that's dark a lot of the time. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, you figured out by now in Advent that we are asking our children what they think about these topics. Um, I'm thankful to Val and to Annika who put these uh, things together. They worked with the kids. to They write their own devotions and everything. It's really great. We titled this Advent for an Unsettled World because um, we're pretty unsettled right now, aren't we? I mean, anybody disagree with that? It's a pretty crazy place right now, isn't it? Who knows what's going to happen? It's amazing to me, the headlines, one after the other, and, and uh, what's happening in our country especially. And so we decided to take some time and look at the four traditional categories of Advent, which the candles stand for. Hope was first, peace second. Today we're going to talk about joy. And then we're going to talk about love. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to kind of bring them all together and look at how they fit together with Christ. And to look at these four categories from the standpoint of the world that we live in, the things that uh, we should never talk about, right? Religion and politics, wrong. Those are the things we should always talk about is religion and politics. We don't need to fight over them, and people aren't looking to be lectured, but people really want to talk about these things. Trust me. Everywhere I go, I just came back from Dallas to see my youngest granddaughter, and uh, people there want to talk about it. They're nervous. Some are relieved, some are nervous, some are terrified, some are frightened. Uh, I haven't met anybody that says, boy, this is the perfect world. We made it. No, it's not that at all. 
And so we do live in a world, uh, and in our own county right here, as beautiful as it is, by the way, out there, with the sun shining on the snow, we're underneath it. People are anxious. People are nervous. So be willing to talk. We have more opportunity than ever before to engage our community in dialogue. And then based on today, I would say to demonstrate to them what true joy looks like. We're going to kind of have that conversation. So what is true joy? What is it? Well, let's talk about what it's not, first of all. Um, When we talked about hope, we said that hope was more than wishful thinking. As a Christian, hope is an expectation based on something we believe to be true. And so it's more than wishful thinking. Peace, when we talked about peace, it's more than the absence of conflict, isn't it? It has something to do with the internal person. Shalom, I think uh, Stefan used that term of of a sense of well-being. It's far more than the absence of conflict. It includes that. Well, true joy is very much like that. It's more than, more than I mean, it's like that in that it exceeds everything. It's not, it's not happiness. It's not pleasure. It's not that. Those are different words. Uh, they're the byproduct in the end of true joy, but that's not what true joy is about. True joy cannot be experienced when you're preoccupied with your own security, your own pleasure, or your self-interest which pretty much describes our culture today, doesn't it? And so no wonder our culture is struggling with all of these areas of hope, faith, peace, love, joy, all the things that are important to us. When we're focused on ourselves, we can't see those things. We can't experience them. Joy is a delight. Think of that word. It's a delight. It's a delight that runs deeper than pain, It's a delight that runs deeper than pleasure. It's a delight. It has something to do with significance and meaning of what this is all about. It's not simply pleasure. If that's all it is, then get out of here and go have fun. It's not, though. For the Christian, joy is a much deeper set of emotions than that. The beginning of the journey of true joy is when one is caught up in something that's greater than themselves. Something great enough to give meaning and purpose not only to all of your life, but to all of your relationships. In other words, it has to be bigger than you. Pleasure is something you get immediately when you buy something, when you do something like that. But the deeper parts of joy come because you are caught up in something bigger than yourselves. There's about 400 different words, uh, I should say the vocabulary for joy, occurs about 400 times in this book. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a major theme. There's no question about it. It's a core to Christianity. Joy should be. Uh, It should describe you. It should describe us as a church. It's a quality of life and not simply a fleeting emotion. So think about what I said at the beginning earlier. It's a delight. It's a delight that somehow runs deeper than pain, suffering, pleasure. For those of you that are struggling right now, um, we'll come back to this in just a second, but if it's not placed in the bigger context, it begins to preoccupy your thinking, doesn't it? Doesn't pain just make your world really small? It does. I've been there. Many of you know I've had six surgeries in seven years and And honestly, this is the first summer that I didn't have pain in seven years. It's wonderful. I I hadn't realized how pain draws you, your world smaller. And to experience joy, you have to move outside of that and and capture a bigger, bigger picture. That's why Paul says all of his sufferings, he lists that long list. These are uh, minor, he calls them. Momentary light afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory. For the Christian, God himself is the source of all true joy. It becomes integral to our relationship to God. And now we, as professing Christians, will say many things that, honestly, we don't live out. For instance, it's very comfortable for us to talk about the sovereignty of God until something goes wrong, and then we just kind of pitch it out the window, don't we? One of my professors in seminary said, while we are professing theists, we're practicing atheists. And that happens all the time. As elders, we have to guard ourselves from that. If the giving is down, for instance, it's easy to say, well, uh, we need to do something to raise it. 
wait a minute, what about the sovereignty of God? Do we believe in the sovereignty of God? Do we really believe it? When I was, some of you were here a year and a half ago when I was diagnosed with cancer, bladder cancer, uh, I wrestled with that. Where's the sovereignty of God in the middle of this? Everything in me wanted to panic and go run screaming out of the room. I don't want the C word, and yet there it is in my life. And so do I really believe in the sovereignty of God? Well, you have to answer those core questions to get to joy. You'll never get to joy until you really begin thinking through the parts of your life and how your belief and your faith really fits together. So how does one cultivate joy? I'm going to start with Psalm 16. We're going to spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament. Psalm 16, it begins with the individual. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. Listen to these wonderful words. We're going to see them again in the New Testament later on today. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, and here the word Lord is all capitalized, so this is the divine name. This is the one true living God. I will keep my eyes always on this one true living God. He will be my focus, in other words. He will occupy my being. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor let your faithful ones see decay. Now, this is used of Christ. Later on, we're not going to go there in the Gospels, but it is used to describe Christ's resurrection. Remember Paul's argument? We talked about this with hope, that the resurrection is the center pen. It is the core of our faith. Without the resurrection, if there is no resurrection, what are we doing? If there's no resurrection, let's just get out of here and go have fun. The resurrection is the core of, for which we look forward to, that God will raise us from the dead for eternal life. He will. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, we looked where Paul says, if there is no resurrection, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are even more guilty of being stupid. We're guilty of teaching false doctrine, of false truth, and giving false hope to people. His conclusion there is if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we of all people on the planet are most to be pitied. Those are strong words. You see, the resurrection is our hope. Why do all this? Oh, yeah, we're to enjoy life in the present. You hear me talk about that all the time. I'm a big fan of that. Man, there's no better place to enjoy life in the present than right here. But, but that's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is eternal life, isn't it? And Christ, Paul argues in Acts 17 at Athens, when God raised Christ from the dead, he provided proof for all of us that it's coming. He's the first fruits. So Psalm 16, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So it starts with the individual in a relationship with God. That's where the joy comes from. By the way, if you're struggling in your passion, in your joy with the Lord, let's have coffee and talk about it. Let's talk about it. Sometimes I think we have raised, we're going to talk about more of this when we get to Lent, by the way. Sometimes I think we've raised sin to, an, to a level that it's its own form of idolatry. Let me tell you what sin is. Here you are, and you're moving toward the image of Christ. That's technical language. What that means is you're becoming more Christ-like, or just to be honest and real, you're becoming more human. You're restoring capacities that sin has destroyed. So as a Christian, as you move toward Christ, you become more loving. You become more compassionate, more gentle, more affectionate, more caring. All the qualities that, are, that should define us. We're moving in that direction. Sin, it's an obstacle. That's what it is. It's an obstacle that stops that process. Don't give it more power than that. That's what it is. So if you're struggling and experiencing that passion that we talked about, that joy of the Lord, 
what you're created to experience, let's talk about it. Something is in the way. And that's what we call sin. Something is in the way. Something is keeping you from moving in that direction. If you can figure out what that is, then you've come a long ways. And you'll move a long ways. So Psalm 16 gives us that glimpse of that personal joy that's supposed to be there, and it's uniquely tied to faith in the one true living God. We believe in this one true living God. We believe in what He did for us. However, this joy, uh, in order to be experienced fully, it cannot be kept to ourselves. A lot like love, if you think about it. The Bible says love one another. You couldn't do that if you weren't with people. Because it takes someone else to love, doesn't it? You may make the decision. You may get up in the morning, okay, I'm going to love people. But then you walk out in the world and you're the only one on the planet. That can't be done, can it? It requires a relationship. And all the messiness that relationship brings with it, it requires that. Well, joy is the same way. Joy kept to itself is dead. It's not worth anything. Joy naturally begins to flow from ourselves into the community. Uh, I illustrated that without several of you this morning just by showing you the picture of me with my newest granddaughter. She's six weeks old. I was with her yesterday. And I just showed a bunch of you a picture on my phone. And uh, see how the joy begins to flow out and you experience things? So as you experience joy, the people around you can't help but see it. Otherwise, it's not true joy. We were designed to live in the middle of community. So joy, in order to be fully expressed and felt, has to be brought out into the community. Let's talk for just a moment about what national joy in Israel looked like. Um, all throughout the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is at several points the nation is to express joy. Most clearly and most importantly, it was expressed at the great festivals and the times of worship. You see, the, the temple... The, uh, at the temple is where they all gathered. Three times a year, the men were required to come together. They almost always brought their families with them. They're required to come together and to celebrate the great festivals. One of them, for example, is the Festival of Booths, or what we call Tabernacles, Festival of Tabernacles. That was to commemorate God taking care of them when they lived in the desert for 40 years, and they lived in tents. So the Festival of Tabernacles is like a big camping party. Everybody in Jerusalem moved out into tents, tents everywhere, and it went on for eight days. The rabbis tell us that the music went, went 24 hours a day. There was dancing 24 hours a day around the menorah candles and other places. They sang the halal songs. It was just a time of great joy. That's what these festivals were designed to do. And so this was one of those places where the nation experienced joy together. I'm going to read to you a psalm, which is actually familiar to many of you because you've sung it. And we're going to talk about it. It's Psalm 42. This is the NIV version. As a deer pants, pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. You may remember the older translation. As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. How many of you have sung that or heard it sung? Okay, so most of you. All right. We have managed to take that psalm and turn it into a personal worship experience. That was foreign to Israel. Israel didn't conceive of worship anywhere in their Bible uh, as something that we did individually, something we did together as a community. If it wasn't done at the temple, in fact, Deuteronomy 12 says you're not allowed to worship God except at the temple. And so they always conceive of worship as what we do together. So listen to these words in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Why would he ask that question? Because he can't get to the temple. That's why. My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where's your God? So he's been deported. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. That's what the festivals were all about, is coming together as a nation. That's what we are about. It should be. This should describe us. We should be joyful people. One of the questions I've asked our staff on more than one occasion is, what are the adjectives when the church or the county looks at our staff? What do you want them to say of us? And once we make the list and ask the question, do they say that? 
So you tell me, when your county thinks of DCC, what do you want them to think? What adjective comes to mind? What do you want? Tell me, shout, shout it out. What? Love. Kindness. Joyfulness. What else? United, okay. Genuine. Concern. Mm, I like that. When the county looks at us, are those the words that they think of? With our church? I've often gone through the thought process. If we decided to close the doors today, tomorrow the church didn't exist anymore, the people across the street, would they be upset? Would they be glad? Or would they even notice? That's what joy is all, all about. It's designed to be spread. It's designed to be experienced. Listen to Psalm 98. Psalm 42 is a negative example of they could not worship together and therefore they couldn't feel that sense of joy. Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. For his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Key words, have worked salvation for him. We'll come back to that. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered, by the way, look at the joyful all ye nations rise. Everywhere you go in the scriptures, every one of these character qualities leads to all the nations knowing about the Lord. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. Did you get it? Shout for joy to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. Yell it out. Be excited about it. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples with equity. He will be fair and he will bring goodness to us. He brought justice he loves. He's faithful. He is good. He uses his power on behalf of his people. He brings healing. Why would we not rejoice? Why would the world not rejoice at this if they knew the truth? Just like hope and peace, joy automatically pulls us into the future. So we started with the individual. We have to experience joy inside. We can't help if it's true joy, but that joy begins to flow out into each other's lives. And as it begins to flow out into each other's lives, it pulls us into the future. It does. Because we all have a sense that something better is coming. Don't we? Don't we hope so? You laugh at me, but I, I have fun joking about it. But if this is it, How disappointing. If I'm the definition of nirvana, <laughs> let's just stop and go have fun now. How disappointing that is. We all live with an expectation and a true hope that something better is coming. Well, it's true with joy as well. It pulls us into the future. This is captured by all of the prophets. As we move into the New Testament, we see this same pattern from the individual flowing out into the community, leading us to the nations and to the future. We see that. For example, uh, but one thing that's unique about the New Testament is that it now is rooted, grounded in the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, the appearing of Christ. So when we look around the Christmas stories, you know all these verses. Luke chapter 1, Zechariah rejoices. He's the father of John the Baptist. When he can finally speak, he's so excited to tell everybody that his son is getting ready to prepare the world for the Messiah. You have Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. She experiences joy when Mary goes to visit her. The baby leaps in her womb. I, I've never had that happen, so I assume that's a joyful experience. Mary, in Luke chapter 1, rejoices in her new son Jesus. You should read the, the Mary's Magnificat, how grateful she is. She's overwhelmed. Why me, Lord? But she's filled with joy. In Luke chapter 2, the shepherds rejoice at the birth 
they're just overwhelmed. In Matthew chapter 2, the magi, the, the wise men, they're overwhelmed with joy that God has heard. He remembered his promise. He came back for us. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. The fantastic news that God did not forget us. Emmanuel. That should bring joy into our lives. God with us. He remembered us. He came back for us. He has fulfilled his promise to bring salvation, to rescue us, to bring us the kingdom. This is good news. That's why it's called the gospel. This is good news. We should rejoice. This automatically flows out into the church such that the church is now to be marked with joy. The spiritual, uh, the festivals I talked about just a minute ago in Israel's history at the temple, they were to bring joy to the world, right? They were to bring joy to all the people. Okay, you've seen me do this, some of you. The Old Testament, it's almost like God's picture book. It presents us a shadow of true spiritual reality, a tangible. You could touch the stones in the temple. You could hear the animals bleeding. You could smell them when they've been sacrificed. So then over here in the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament grabbed that and said, we are the spiritual temple. What does it mean for us to be the spiritual temple? Does that mean, by the way, we together are the spiritual temple. Don't be tempted to go too, too isolationist here, too individualistic. We together are the spiritual temple. So how do we define the spiritual temple? Do we go to a Hindu temple? I've been to several. Do we go to a Buddhist temple? I've been to several. I hope not. It's terrible. No. When we begin to define what life is like for us, we have to go back and look at the Jewish temple. Now we're talking about joy. The festivals are one of those places. The festivals is where the dancing occurred. It was the parties of the nation. The celebration, the worship, the jumping up and down, the singing song, because our God has remembered us and come for us to rescue us. So when the world looks at us today, do they see us dancing for joy? Do they see us jumping up and down, smiling? And by the way, you represent the kingdom of God in your lives. We talked on elders last week that uh, I personally don't, Maybe I should, but I don't pay a lot of attention to what the other churches do or say about us. Only 7% of our county professes to be Protestant. They don't know what we're talking about. Their only exposure to the kingdom is through you and your lives. So when they're in conversation with you at work, at play, talking in the grocery store, wherever you happen to be, How do you represent the kingdom? Does that joy flow out? Or do they see discouragement, depression, frustration, anger, fear? Oh my gosh, have you seen our new president-elect? Or maybe, I'm really excited about our president-elect. We have both people, both groups in our church. When they look at you, what do they see? Do they see hope? Do they see joy and confidence? Or do they see discouragement and depression, frustration, fear? You name it, you fill in the blank. You are the representatives. Ephesians 3, to God be the glory in the church. In the church. Paul goes on and explains that this true joy comes from God, Galatians 5, as part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's that desire that's underneath everything, a pleasant desire. We are commanded to rejoice together in Philippians 4. And Philippians is where joy comes together with suffering and teaches us that suffering can be seen joyfully if we understand the redemptive nature of it. Suffering does help your faith, but honestly, it helps the people around you. I pointed out Don Wolf in the first service, missing his hair from chemo. How is it that every time I see him, he's asking me about me and smiling? He's, he's found that joy. He has. And so if you understand your suffering, as Paul said, as momentary light afflictions for the purpose of strengthening your faith and teaching the rest of us about Christ, then your, your suffering has a redemptive purpose and you, in fact, can find joy in it. If you don't understand that, then your suffering is the end of the world. 
And Philippians teaches us that. Did you know that God rejoices over you? Did you know that? I'm just going to three, three things Christ said in Luke 15. The shepherd, he loses one sheep and he goes after it. What does he experience when he finds his one sheep? Overwhelming joy. He goes and tells all of his friends, I found that lost sheep. Or the woman in the same chapter, Luke 15. She loses her coin and she finds, she looks all over her house and she finds the one coin and she runs and tells everybody, I found the coin. Then he goes right after that and just a couple of verses later and said, the angels, they rejoice when one of us turns toward God because they already experienced God. They know what we're in for ultimately. So they rejoice. These are all pictures and there's many more snapshots of how much God is excited about you. You ever get up in the morning and you say, God is excited about me. You should. You should. I was with my son and his family. Nancy and I were this couple, last couple of days. My son's 36. Some of you know the story. It's been a long and winding journey through lots of problems and issues. Uh, just became a believer earlier this year. So he sat down at a restaurant and he said, let me pray. And he, it's the first time. Nancy and I looked at each other in shock. Be patient with your children. That is the gospel. God loves every person so much. He's going to do whatever it takes short of violating your free will to get your attention. Just relax. Your job is to be a billboard, if you will, to reflect the glory of the Lord, Ephesians 3, to show the joy that you really believe in. So, um, what are you afraid of? I said when I talked about hope that despair was the antithesis, the enemy to hope. Fear is the enemy to joy. Is there anything really so big that you need to be afraid of it? Really? If God really is God and sovereign, do you really need to be afraid? Now, what would it look like if we rewrote these uh, headlines with true hope? Well, I'm going to read to you just a passage out of Revelation. I'll co close with this. Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> as we're getting near the end of the book, as the book unfolds of Revelation, more and more people are praising God. More of creation is praising Him. It's going to give you a snapshot out of Revelation 19. Verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! That means praise to Yahweh. Praise to this one true living God. Hallelujah. Let's just say it together. Hallelujah. Let's say it again. Hallelujah. Now shout it. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, were given to her to wear. These fine linens stand for the righteous acts of God's holy people. The headlines would look very different, wouldn't they? I'd love to write the headlines. What are you afraid of? More importantly, what is your neighbor or friend afraid of? You ever ask them? I start out by saying, Advent for an unsettled world. This represents the greatest time, the greatest opportunity we'll ever have to ask people what they think about things. It doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to ask them who they voted for. You don't have to fight with them. Ask them, what are you afraid of? What are you hopeful for? And you become a beacon of hope, peace, joy. That's what happens. Ask your friends, ask your neighbors, ask your relatives what they're anxious about. It's a fantastic conversation. 
Father, thank you for sending us your Son. Thank you for giving us a true, um, a true glimpse of what's coming so that we can, we can share that with the people around us. Help us, Lord, as you say in Ephesians 3, to be your glory in this broken world, to help our friends know what it means to experience true, true peace, true hope, true joy, all of that. In your son's name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and take the offering. Um, by the way, when you give today, thank you for giving. You guys give every Sunday. That's really wonderful. Thank you. When you give today, do it joyfully. Think of what the Lord has done for you and find a way to find pleasure in it. So a lot of these ushers are pastors and the pastors. I wanted to uh, read the words to explain a very familiar song that we become so familiar with and that sometimes we just we don't sometimes we hear the words. It's like, oh, you know, we sing. We sing. And so I wanted to read the words to Joy to the World by Martin Guy Davis. And then we'll sing it uh, during the communion. But listen to the words by Joy to the World. Joy to the World. And uh, as we prepare for communion in Acts 2 at Pentecost, when the Spirit came, uh, they're trying to make sense of the Lord dying and resurrecting again. He's alive with them now, and then the Spirit comes. We have these words. Peter stands up because all the people in Jerusalem, when the Spirit came, they thought, what on earth literally is this? What is going on? So Peter quotes Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart, well, let me back up. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. He just read these words at the beginning of the sermon. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. That's what happens when you get closer to the Lord. The closer you are, the more joy you feel. At the end of the chapter, after the great, all the experience and explanation, a bunch of people came to Christ. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. That's the Eucharist meal, the Last Supper, the communion supper. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Isn't that a great picture of the community of faith? They did it together. They set aside all the differences. And we got a lot of them. I get it. But they set them all aside. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's what communion is. I'm going to give you just a minute. And I want you to just ask yourself, why are you glad? How has the Lord made you joyful? What has he done? Take a moment and just reflect on that.
as we prepare to celebrate communion together with glad and joyful hearts, I'd like to ask some of you to come forward and help us with the bread and the cup and get it ready to serve. Um, the, it's okay, come on. The example of Christ is, uh, is the cause for our celebration, our gladness, our joy. He did not forget us. You know the great words on the last night? Um, after uh, He took the bread, and what did he do with it? He what? He broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. No wonder he's excited about us. He sacrificed his life for us. Of course he's going to be excited for us. Then he has those wonderful words, do this in remembrance of me. I remembered you, you remember me. I didn't forget you, don't forget me. That's, the, that's what brings that sense of joy. After supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. New covenant, an entirely new way of thinking and relating. Do this in remembrance of me. I remembered you, you remember me. I came back for you. Isn't that the message of Emmanuel, Christmas? God with us, he came back for us. And in his presence is where you find joy. So I'm going to invite you to come forward and celebrate communion together. This is how we close our service for those of you that are visitors. Do it with gladness in your heart, with joy. Be grateful for what he has done. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you. We recognize there's no words that we could say to communicate uh, how grateful we are other than to live our lives out as best we can by your grace and strength. And that's our commitment to you. So help us together as a community of faith to express joy and gladness at what you've done. In your name we pray, amen. Come and celebrate communion. That's right. On the back of your bulletin are some announcements. You can read them. Um, 
we do need help Christmas Eve. Remember, two services, four and six. And uh, we have 1,000 people here every year, 500 each service. So this is full, the narthex is full, the commons is full. And so to make all that happen with communion and candle lighting and all the fun things we're going to do, we could use your help. And I think there's a way to connect there. Remember, this time of the year, this is one of the times when your friends will actually come to church. And uh, we have a great time on Christmas Eve. And so just invite them. Just say, it's what I do. I do with people over the county. If you're looking for a place to worship, come to uh, DCC. Christmas Eve, four or six, either one. And uh, we will we'll talk about the Lord and celebrate together. In the meantime, I pray that your week is filled with joy and that you get to reflect that joy to a bunch of people around you who are tired and weary and concerned and anxious. So I hope that you enjoy the peace of Christ all week. Go in peace.